Hello, hello, you've been rerouted. I'm your host, teacher, writer, and self-titled travel junkie, Emily. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and this podcast is for the wander woman in all of us. I'm here to explore all things travel and adventure through the female lens, shedding light on issues, sharing tips, and of course, storytelling along the way. Whether you're a nomad or a noob, I hope this show is a source of inspiration, giving you the tools you need to help you start your next journey, whatever that may be, confidently. And hey, in case no one's told you lately, you are brave, you are beautifully made, and you deserve the world. Like all great travelers, I have seen more than I remember and remember more than I have seen. Benjamin Nisarelli. Hey everyone! Today's episode is going to be slightly different than my previous two episodes, and to be honest, I have no idea how this is going to go. It could be a complete disaster, a failure, but we are just going to go for it and hopefully have a little fun. I am calling it Wanderlush, and here's how it's going to go. I am going to do a dramatic reading from my vault of travel journal entries, but reading just any travel journal entry out of a hat wouldn't be any fun, so I have three rules. Rule number one, the journal entry has to be at least 10 years old. If you've ever done a deep dive into your middle school diary, you know that the best journal entries of any kind to read are the old ones because they are the most nostalgic and chances are you've changed a lot since. When you read a journal entry from the past, you are reading not from the perspective of who you are now, but from who you were back then. So it's kind of like a window into your younger self, which I find both hilarious and terrifying and cringy beyond belief. I'm hoping that 10 years is long enough for me to notice a significant change and maybe be able to make some commentary on it. The second rule is that I can't read the journal entry ahead of time. I can't prepare myself for what I'm about to read. I just have to pick the entry and read it. The recording has to be completely done in one take with no editing. So you're really going to hear my reactions in real time. Now, chances are I will have some idea about what is being read based on the title and the location, but I just know there are going to be so many things that I've forgotten about that are going to pop up as well. This is one of the most beautiful things about journal writing, by the way. If you don't do it, you should because your brain cannot possibly store all the sensory information you are receiving and so many great memories get lost unless you write them down. So I highly recommend that if you don't journal while traveling, you should start. Or just, you know, journal every day, because every day is special. The third rule is very simple. I'm going to drink while I do this, which could be a terrible idea considering the previous two rules, but like I said, we are going to have some fun, and I'm a bit nervous, so this might calm my nerves a little bit. Tonight, I am drinking a blood orange cider from Incline Cider Company. I uh, I don't typically drink ciders. I'm more of a wine gal, but it is 7 p.m. and still sunny out. And this cider was just calling my name from the fridge. By the way, Incline Cider Company is family owned, crafted responsibly from 100% fresh pressed apples and gluten free. There is nothing artificial in this baby. Incline, if you're listening, hit me up because 
You can be a sponsor. You are delicious. Anyways, intro over. You know how this goes. Today's episode starts now. here. We're live. This is really happening. Today I am going to read to you from my first travel blog, which was titled 50 Days in India, to give you a little context about what you're going to hear. This was my first trip outside the U.S., first trip international ever. I went to India with my friends Allie and Ariana. Ariana had previously traveled to India and she had a lot of previous travel experience. So she was definitely the one showing us the ropes. She made us feel really comfortable the entire time we were there as we were navigating things like the airport and train. So it was really great and we were super grateful that we had her there with us for sure. Uh, during the volunteer experience, Ariana and I, excuse me, Allie and I taught first grade at a rural school. And then in the afternoons, we taught fifth grade at an orphanage. Ariana actually taught on her own, having done this volunteer trip already once before. And uh, now that I think about it, this was my first ever teaching experience too, which is kind of crazy because at this point I was 20 years old. And I think at this point, I was pretty sure I wanted to be a teacher, but hadn't done my practicum or had any hands-on experience really. This was the summer of 2010, so it was right in between when I left WSU Vancouver and when I enrolled at WSU Pullman, where I was going to do their education program and kind of get the whole, you know, full-on college experience. 2010, which we know from my social media post episode, uh, was fairly new, as were smartphones. I think the latest phone at the time was an iPhone 3S or something like that. So that's the era, that's the scene we're in. The post I'm going to read to you today is day 27 through 29. So I guess I should fill you in a little bit more. We were in India for about 50 days, which is why I titled my blog 50 Days in India. We spent four-ish days in Delhi, just kind of like hanging around, touring Delhi, getting used to the heat. And then we actually missed our train and took a bus to Udaipur for uh, about six weeks. That's where, that's how long we were there. We were there for about six weeks. And after that, we went back to Delhi for a few more nights to close out our trip. Seeing it back, six weeks sounds like so little in the grand scheme of teaching. That is six weeks is really nothing. But the time it did feel like a significant amount I feel like if you're going to do any kind of volunteer experience, you should go for at least four weeks. I mean, any time of volunteer work is great, obviously, but anything less than four weeks and you're not giving yourself time to see your work in action and to become fully immersed in the culture. So day 27 through 29 is just over halfway through our trip. At this point, I'm starting to feel more acclimated. I know a few Hindi words. I feel like I'm getting the hang of the whole teaching thing. Not really, I'm pretty sure I was horrible, but we all survived, kids included. We had this awesome coordinator, Gorov, who organized a trip for the volunteers to Jodhpur. And it took place over three days, hence why this post is a three-dayer and also a bit longer. 
I, I remember this trip, I can recall images, but honestly, most of the images I have in my mind are from the photos I have on Facebook, which I'll occasionally scroll through. From what I remember, we went to the Jodhpur Fort, we went on a camel safari, we stayed out in the desert, we slept under the stars, there was a building where we were at and we slept on cots because it was really warm outside. At night also these dancers and musicians came and we danced and had delicious food and then later that morning we woke up, picked out our camel and rode off into the sunrise. It was really beautiful and definitely a very unique experience. But sadly, that's all I can remember. If someone were to ask me, what was Jodhpur like? Those are the basic details I could surmise. Uh, so now I'm going to read to you the actual blog post, which I wrote after coming back from our trip. So the images are going to be more fresh, the description's more vivid, at least that's the idea. And if there's anything that comes up during this, I'll be sure to comment on it. I'm sure there will be. And again, I have not read this ahead of time to prepare. I really feel like there is going to be some things I forgot about and I'm looking forward to it. I'm also kind of dreading it. Uh, while I'm doing it, I'm gonna be drinking this inclined cider. So cheers, here we go. Day 27 to 29, Tuesday, July 20th, 2010. Oh my gosh, just even seeing that date is crazy, 2010. So this is 12 years ago, <sighs> okay. I heard a quote the other day, a true traveler sees more than they remember and remembers more than they see. And I would have to agree with the first part. I have been pretty good at remembering the major events of this trip, but it is impossible to remember every single detail well enough to be able to recite them back in this blog. Pictures can fill in some of the blanks, but there is always those little slivers that are forever lost in the crevices of our memory. Okay, I just have to pause right here and say, uh, this is crazy because I was just talking about this and how you, you you lose so much memory, even just a day later, so many memories get lost. So I am, I swear to you, I have not read this ahead of time. This is a huge coincidence. Uh, but so far, 20 year old Emily is thinking a lot like 32 year old Emily. Uh, okay, here we go. Now, as for the second part of this quote, you can believe what you want about my recan, recantations, Re recantations, gosh, 20 year old Emily had a better vocabulary than me. You can resolve that what I am saying is an exaggeration, that India really isn't as great as I make it out to be, and that some of the events in this blog are entirely fabrication. I assure you, none of this is true, but I understand those who refuse to believe in magical places will have their suspicions of what I write and I cannot change that. However, to those of the pessimistic nature for this weekend in particular, please read what I write with an open mind. Allow yourself to believe in the unbelievable because everything I am about to tell you is just as magical as I say, down to the very last detail that I can remember. <laughs> oh my gosh, I was so dramatic, okay. Okay, so besides the monkeys and the trees and the tipped over carrier truck on the side of the road, the sweltering hot six hour bus ride from Udaipur to Jodhpur wasn't all that exciting. It was also not very exciting that when we finally got to our guest house, they were so short staffed that everyone's dinner came out at different times. 
and the last person got theirs after the first person had been done nearly two hours. Wow, okay. Uh, however, falling asleep on a real mattress in a room with real air conditioning made up for everything. Okay, so I just wanna pause here because I sound super, uh, just like super American and like entitled here. And I think part of that is my age. And part of it is because I don't, I, India is definitely a different place. And there's definitely a different culture there with like timing on food. Uh, I don't think there's the same like rush uh, when you're eating to like have, have everybody eat at the same time. And also uh, like just the timeliness of it. Like people sit down to like enjoy a meal together. So like if it's not all coming out at the same time, it's not that big of a deal. It's like very similar in uh, places like Mexico and other Latin American countries like Colombia, at least in my experience. Um, but also European countries too, Italy, things like that. Uh, I think as Americans, we're very like, very demanding and when things don't um like don't match our schedule we get super upset so i'm i feel like i'm i'm seeing that in my in my language that i'm using and the frustration uh that i have here uh however falling asleep on a real mattress in a room with real air conditioning made up for everything oh no i didn't have air conditioning <laughs> the bed was big enough for all three of us to sleep comfortably and not touch each other once i don't even think ariana talked in her sleep which she has grown accustomed to doing the past couple nights. She still does that, by the way. And now she has an app on her phone where she can record the things that she says. And it's terrifying. <laughs> I, uh, where did I leave off? Uh, the next morning, we ordered breakfast from our rooms and headed out to the city. The Celsius Fahrenheit conversion confuses me. But if you're good with math, it was about 45 degrees Celsius while we were in Jodhpur. And if you're not good at math, just know that Jodhpur is the warmest city in Rajasthan and much, much hotter than our core body temperature. Okay, so I do remember that. It was, it was very, very hot. I think I probably drank about six liters of water throughout the day and sweated out five, but despite how drenched in sweat we might have been, it didn't stop us from enjoying the city. Jodhpur is called the Blue City. From the memorial we visited first, you can look out over the city and see for yourself the reason why. Most of the houses are painted blue. The reason is because the blue paint keeps their houses cool and also helps ward off mosquitoes. Just font, Memorial is beautiful. Entirely marble, the structure stretches across a bright green landscape complete with a moat, flowering trees, and fountains. A father and his two children sat outside underneath the shade of a tree. He played an instrument that looked like a hybrid between a guitar and a flute, while his children sang along with him to traditional Indian songs. Just as we were leaving, I ran to the bathroom. No one was standing outside the door to collect money for entrance, but when I came out, a random man was standing there holding out his hand and asking for 50 rupees. I honestly had no money on me, so I just shook my head and booked it as fast as I, fa as fast as I could to our car. I figured he really wanted my 50 rupees. If he really wanted my 50 rupees, he would tackle me. Smart, Emily. A similar situation happened with Allie and Ariana in the bathroom at McDonald's. An elderly woman remained in there with them the entire time, opening the stall for them, turning on the faucet, and even pumping their soap. When they tried to do it themselves, she got angry and would force their hands away, and then when they went to leave, she demanded a tip. Allie and Ariana shook their heads, refusing to give her a tip for something they could have easily done themselves. Of course, the woman didn't like that very much, and I'm pretty sure they got cussed out in Hindi. Okay, so another... Wow, I... I'm like, I'm having, one, I'm having major flashbacks of these moments, and two, I'm, 
I'm just like, I feel like I'm more educated now about the cultural differences, not just between America and India, but like America and most of the world. <laughs> like, America is uh, is so different. Like we are the different ones like than most people. And that is a major part of the culture in India that they have uh, people who are um, like bathroom attendants and that is kind of like how they make their money. Now, I'm not gonna say there are people who are frauds and who are out there to just kind of like swindle you and take advantage of you because you're American, but uh, like most of the people I think who are collecting money at bathrooms are legit. Uh, I think at the time, you know, being young and being, you know, first, for, this is the first country we've ever been in, we were very skeptical and kind of just on guard and a little bit more careful than we maybe needed to be. Okay, okay, so bathroom swindlers aren't anything new or exciting, but the good part will come, I assure you. Okay, this blog is not over yet. We've got like two more pages left. After the memorial, the group went to Jodhpur Fort, the largest fort in Rajasthan. One, one second, I need a drink. It makes Fort Vancouver look like Legos, mini Legos. On the outside, it looks like a continuation of the dusty red hills, but on the inside, it's a beautiful palace. No one lives in it anymore, but as you are walking through, you can just imagine the events that took place a thousand, a thousand years ago when it was built. There are still cannonball holes in the side of the rock exterior and the handprints of all the widowed queens who dipped their hands in clay before throwing their bodies on their dead husband's body as it was being cremated. The museum inside houses the silver chairs royalty rode around in atop elephants. The male chairs were open while the female chairs were covered by cloth to avoid the lustful gazes of men. Oh no. There was a royal chamber, a throne room, long silver swords still encased in their sheaths, and a case full of knives that split once they entered the body of its victim. The staircases wound up higher and higher with courts on every level until finally we reached the very top and gazed out at the beautiful blue city of Jodhpur. How luxurious would it be to be a princess during that era? when the walls of the fort housed kings and queens and all their attendants, adorned in the finest silks and silver. I imagine music everywhere and grand parties where the dancing lasts well into the night. I imagine a parade of elephants and armies ready for battle at the fort wall. I think it would be an amazing sight to see and take part in. Ellipses, ellipses again. Well, besides the whole throwing your body on your husband's burning body after he dies, Ellipses. <laughs> Sorry. After the fort, it was another two-hour jeep ride into the desert. We stopped at a Rajasthani temple where we rung the bell once upon entering to show our presence to God and were shortly after blessed by a holy man. There were so many people crowded into the temple and it wasn't any particular hour of worship. It was just a daily activity for most. Outside on the terrace was a wire fence where over a thousand bangles and bracelets were tied. It is tradition for young girls to tie their bangles to the fence and make a wish. If the wish comes true, the girl must return to the temple and untie it. Ali, Ariana, and I all tied one bangle, each making a separate wish and refusing to tell each other what it was. Oh, what was that wish? We shall see after the break.
we are ready to see what magic is about to begin in Rajasthan. Last we left off, we were in a temple tying a bangle to a fence, making wishes, and now we are arriving in the desert. We were all alone. There was a single hut, a larger cement building, and a cow tied up under a tent of sticks. There were 14 of us on all, sorry, there were 14 of us in all, our group of 12 volunteers, Gorov, the coordinator, and our driver. Besides a shepherd and his goats, the tiny hills of sand, and a few scraggly bushes, there was nothing around for miles. We had only heard that we would be sharing the site with four other travelers. There wasn't much in the light of things to do, so Shelby and I entertained ourselves by throwing rocks off the side of the roof and ducking before anyone could see us. Yeah, okay, like if my middle schoolers could hear that I participated in that behavior, they would not let me live it down. So mature. But just as we were about to launch our attack on Ariana, something in the distance caught our eye. Out in this expanse of sand and nothing were four figures moving on foot. They came up from behind a random sand dune and from the way the light hit them, they looked like they could be a mirage. Shelby and I stood up and kind of cocked our heads to the side. As the figures came into focus, it was like Indian music started to play in the background. Drums were beating and pipes were playing. I swear someone was chanting because this wasn't a mirage. This was very much real. And the four figures who slowly moved closer all looked to be male Abercrombie models. Turns out they were American, American brothers and they had just graduated a year early with a degree in biology. And they just so happened to be going to Udaipur the same day we were going back. Yeah, ellipses. <laughs> the ellipses are very overdone in my writing, I have come to realize. I might have to come back to India to untie my bangle. Ooh, Emily, now we know what your wish was. <laughs> The rest of the night went on like something out of a movie. Just as everything in India seems to do, Shelby and I went on a snake hunt, but unfortunately didn't find anything. Then as the sun was setting over the sand dunes and the sky was beginning to darken into deep shades of orange purple, everyone, including the hunky Americans, ate dinner atop the roof of the cement house. There was no bottoms to our plates. The owner of the house continued to bring us more rice and bread and vegetables even after we insisted we were through. We had to practically be rolled back down the stairs. When the sun finally set, a three-man band played traditional Indian music seated on the ground and two beautifully adorned Rajasthani women danced under the glow of the headlights. In between performances, the women would pull us up and have us dance with them. Some of the biggest smiles I have seen from any of the volunteers came from that night as we made futile attempts to copy their moves. Even the boys laughed at themselves as they, as they tried shaking their hips to the tempo of the drums and the tambourine. After the performance, we laid out our cots underneath the stars. No blankets needed. None of us could sleep, probably because we wouldn't let each other. Between listening for the cackle of one of the American boys, the goats farting, and Shelby and me rapping about the stars, none of us could keep from laughing for long. The event that made us finally shut up and go back to sleep was Jack getting angry at Shelby for not giving him a cigarette and walking off by himself into the dark desert. Oh, Jack. Jack, Jack, Jack. Okay, I just need to pause and say that Jack 
was a character. He was Australian and he just, he left the volunteer trip early. We'll just say that. He had a couple of, of run-ins with the coordinators about certain behaviors that went on, which I think I, I wrote about eventually in my blog post, but he was interesting <laughs> at the very least. Um, so Jack stormed off into the desert. You know you're dumb when you have to be told that's a bad idea. Myself, I would have just let him continue walking until he got bit by a snake or attacked by a camel with rabies. But of course, Gorov was forced to go after him. Something about liability, damn it. Clearly, I really liked Jack. I think we got about four hours of sleep before we woke up to ride camels. It was still completely dark outside and we have, would have just enough time for a cup of hot chai before we picked our camel out and hopped on. Oh, chai, so good. Chai is not the same here as it is in India. It is so much better, like tea in general is just so much better in India. I had no idea how tall camels were until I was on top of one looking down at the ground. I also had no idea they made such strange noises. Actually, they are just strange creatures all around. Ariana and I think, Ariana I think said it best when she said camels were like evolution seriously gone wrong. Oh my gosh, that is so true. And if you look at a camel, you will see what she means. They have the legs of a donkey, the bodies of cows, the faces of giraffes, and the mannerisms of dogs. They roll around in the dirt and chew on shoes. They belch and fart and always look annoyed. However, surprisingly, none of that took away from the experience. The hour and a half long trip wasn't nearly as uncomfortable as I assumed it would be, and the views, once again, were spectacular. I feel like I have seen so many different sides of India, and each one of them is just as beautiful as the next. Two weeks ago, it was the grassy green hills, and this, and this weekend, it was the sand dunes. It was so peaceful and quiet as the sun rose over the sand dunes, illuminating the landscape in bright beiges and oranges. The sky turned a pale pink, then light blue, washing everything and everyone in the scene in a subtle glow. When we reached our destination, we just sat on the sand and stared out over the desert, reflecting and breathing, really breathing. Need to do more of that breathing. The little seven-year-old boys who were helping lead were crawling over the camels like miniature gymnasts, hanging from their necks and standing up straight on their backs. They were adorable. Seven-year-old boys back home are entertaining themselves right now by playing with game consoles. Can you imagine growing up and having a camel to crawl all over as your source of entertainment? After a thousand pictures and a beautiful sunrise, it was back on the camels for the slow trot back to the village for a warm breakfast and a nap. The six hour ride back home seemed much longer, much more bumpy, twice as hot, and three times as crowded. Fortunately, the busy weekend had us all pass out for most of the trip. Going on week five of being in India, and it just keeps getting better. Despite how long this post has been, I am positive there are a thousand and one things I am leaving out. It is impossible to remember every detail completely, but I try my best to relive them for you. Sometimes that means adding a little extra color to the images, but never making anything up. What happened this weekend was magical. I would use the word amazing if I didn't feel like it had been well overused, but that's exactly what it is. Living in Vancouver my whole life, I have gotten used to the routine. I didn't realize there were new experiences to be had. I didn't know there were sights that would actually have me feeling like I was seeing a new color. That excitement and rush you get as a child when you discover something new that is what I feel almost every day. 
Bringing me to India, lesson number two. There is always something left in the world to discover. Don't ever let yourself believe there is no magic to see, no more adventure to be had. And as far as that quote is concerned, I think that sometimes remembering more than you see is better than not seeing anything at all. Bad ending though. So that's the end of the blog. And I wanted to give some final closing thoughts before I go. One, I'm a little sad that I didn't give you any follow-up on the American men that went on the camel safari with us. I think they just kind of left. We parted ways and never saw them again. But to be fair, I don't think they were what was most significant about that weekend. It was about the whole experience. The fact that here I was, a girl from Vancouver, Washington, a girl who spent her recesses in the library, who didn't have two pennies to rub together and never dreamed travel was in the stars, was somehow in the middle of the Indian desert, searching for snakes with a girl from Australia, dancing under the stars and riding a camel into the sunrise. And uh, I've had these moments several times throughout my life, moments where I have to sit back and look at everything and ask, how the heck did I even get here? It has to be magic. Magic is the only possibility. <laughs> and I think there is a, there's a beauty in believing that magic exists, but believing that you have the magic within you, that is true power. It's a power that may lie dormant for a few years, but it's always there waiting to be untethered either by a new discovery or a new experience. Reading this post was pretty surreal, I gotta tell you, partly because I felt like I was having a conversation with myself and partly because at the time I wrote this, I didn't know how relevant those words would feel 12 years later. Post-college, post-career, post-pandemic, when breaking routine feels so much harder. There are things that make me cringe about my younger self. For one, she was pretty entitled and a bit arrogant and still had a lot to learn about the world. But I can also applaud her for her foresight to write these things down because it was unintentionally a love letter to her future self. And... And kind of a reminder to us all to give ourselves the grace to breathe, to live in the moment, and create new opportunities for discovery. So thank you for listening to my first Wanderlush bonus episode. Next week, I'll be bringing you an exciting update about a trip I'll be making in a few weeks. If you enjoyed today's show, I'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with a friend. You can also follow me on Instagram at Rerouted Travel, where you can reach out with any travel questions, episode suggestions, or feedback. Goodbye, my friend. Until next time, stay hungry and humble.